0: just continue to remain in an attitude of prayer as we continue to commit this time into the Lord's hands and pray that it will be God who ministers unto each one of us. It's not words that I speak, but every word that is spoken will be words that God wants us to hear this day. Father, we commit this time into your hands, Lord, and we pray, Lord, that your mighty will will continue to rest and abide upon us Father, we pray, Lord, that what we say, what we do, what we hear will all be in accordance with your plans for our life. We commit this time into your hands and we pray, Lord, that you will continue to minister unto us, Lord. And Father God, I pray, Lord, that you will make our hearts soft enough to be able to receive your word. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. Will you turn with me to the gospel of Luke chapter 15 and we're going to read a very well-known passage which might ask actually have you have some of you wondering why are we doing this again Luke chapter 15 verses 11 to 24 and I shall read it from the new king james version Then he said, that's Jesus, a certain man had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falls to me. So he divided to them his livelihood. And not many days after, the younger son gathered all together, journeyed to a far country, and there wasted his possessions with prodigal living. And when he had spent all, there arose a great, a severe famine in that land, and he began to be in want. Then he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country, and he sent him into his fields to feed swine. And he would gladly have filled his stomach with the pods that the swine ate, and no one gave him anything. And when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have bread enough and to spare? and I perish with hunger. I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you, and I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But when he was still a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. And the son said to him, Now these are very well known verses to us and this is a story that we all know so well. It's a story you've probably heard from the days you were in your Sunday school or Friday school or children's ministry or wherever it was. But we are not going to look at the superficiality of this story but we are going to critically review some of these verses and try to identify what God has for us through them. Now as an introduction, let me mention that there are three parables mentioned in in this chapter, chapter 15, and they all deal with the lost. The first one is the lost sheep, that's verses 4 to 7. The second one is the lost coin, that's verses 8 to 10. And then from verse 11 onwards, you have the story of the lost son. These three parables are Christ's defense of his ministry, because if you look at the first two verses of chapter 15, it is written, then all the tax collectors and the sinners drew near to him to hear him, and the Pharisees and scribes complained, saying, this man receives sinners and eats with them. So that was the murmur, that was the complaint that Jesus Christ was hearing right there. And as a defense to his ministry, Jesus Christ came out with these three parables. The parable of the lost sheep, the parable of the lost coin, and then the parable of the lost son. The first point that we get out of this is that Jesus sees us For who we actually are. Okay, before we come to verses 11 onwards, let's take a brief introduction. So Jesus sees us for who we actually are. Sometimes we are like sheep that have gone astray. And we need a shepherd to bring us back. Could that be one of us here? Could that be me? Am I the lost sheep? Do I need a shepherd to bring me back? You see, sheep are very foolish creatures. Sheep don't really think of their own. They follow. They're very good followers. The second sheep, the third sheep, and every other sheep behind follows the lead of the first sheep. Wherever the first sheep goes, the rest will follow. That's the character of the sheep. That's all. It just simply doesn't think. Is that the right place to go? If the first sheep was to jump off the cliff, the rest would. Am I that lost sheep? Do I need a shepherd to bring me home? Ask yourself that question. Because sometimes we are like lost sheep, sometimes we are like coins stamped with the image of God, but needing to get back into circulation again. A coin is useless unless it is insulation. its in circulation. it has got to move from hand to hand. It's got to be it's part of business. It's got to have value. A coin has no value as long as it sits inside your purse. A coin has value when it is handed over, in exchange for something else? Am I a lost coin, sitting in some corner, just minding my own business, doing nothing else, lost to the world? How many of us agree that we are all on this earth for a purpose? We all have a purpose. Some of us have found it, some of us are yet to find it, but we all have a godly purpose. And that godly purpose can't be for us to sit in some lost corner like a lost coin. We have to be in circulation. We have to move from person to person. Maybe it is time that we got up and went and told the brother outside or the sister outside, God loves you. Maybe we need to talk about the love of God and not about the judgment of God. People are tired of judgment, but what they need to hear is the love of God. Maybe you and I are that lost coin. We have been stamped on one side with the name of God. And then on the other side, you have a value. Am I that lost coin that Jesus Christ is addressing here? Maybe some of us are. And sometimes, all of us are that lost coin. Sometimes, we are all disobedient sons, wasting our inheritance and need to come home to the Father. We have moved away from the Lord. We have gained an inheritance. We have received an inheritance. But instead of allowing that inheritance to multiply, And grow twofold or fivefold or tenfold or whatever, we are letting that inheritance go to waste. We are letting it down the drain. We have taken it, we have received it from the Lord. We might have even demanded it and taken it. What are we doing with it? Are we just sitting with it? Are we using it? So sometimes, We are like disobedient sons, wasting our inheritance. And therefore, there is a time and there is a need for us to return to the Father. So what's God telling us today? You see, if you look at these three parables carefully, you will see something that Jesus saw very clearly. And that is how we often get our lives into a mess. The sheep was lost because of foolishness. The coin was lost because of carelessness. The sun was lost because of willfulness. How are you and me today? How are we you and me today in our walk with the Lord? in the walk with our neighbors? Is our behavior foolish? Is our talk careless? Is our attitude willful? That is something we need to talk about. And today we are just going to focus on the third of those three parables, the parable of the lost son. And through this, we are going to see how God wants us to deal with our willful nature. A nature that says, Do it your way. A nature that is refusing to accept God's primacy in my life. But a nature that says, I want to do it. I can do it my way. Frank Sinatra's famous song is, I did it my way. He might have sang that song, he did it his way, but that's just about it. The Bible tells us that of our own, we can do nothing. Frank Sinatra might have sung, I can do it my way, but Jesus Christ has told us, of your own, you can do nothing. The decision of whether you want to follow that statement of Jesus Christ or that statement of Frank Sinatra is yours. I have titled today's message as Rebellion to Restoration. Rebellion to Restoration. So let's move on. Now if you divide the passage we have just read from verses 11 to to verse 24, you will find that the first five verses describe the seven steps from rebellion to ruin, rebellion to ruin, and the next eight verses describe the seven steps to reconciliation and restoration. So we are going to start with rebellion and take the first seven steps, and then we are going to take some time to look at the next seven steps which restores us back to where God wants us to be. So let's start with the seven steps to ruin that begin with rebellion. Sister, can I have the first slide? Number one, self-will. Self-will, that's in verse 12. Verse 12 states, And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falls to me. That was his desire. Give me my share of the property. Give me my share of your bank account. Give me my share of everything. That was his self-will. And that is the start of the rebellion in his life. And if that is what you and I are saying, that is the start of rebellion, in our lives. You see, the younger son demanded freedom. How often have we heard this or even said it? I want to be free. Was he bound? Was he a slave? Was he a servant? He was a free son. And he was called a son. So, what freedom was he looking for? Maybe he didn't like the authority of a father figure over him. And that's what was troubling him. So he said, No, give me my share. I'm getting out of here. I'm on my own. I refuse to listen to you anymore. He demands independence. Now, from what? As a son, he had rights, he had freedom. He had authority. He had people under him. He is not a servant or a slave, and yet he acted as if he had no voice till then. It was only this statement of his, give me my share and I'm out of here. Remember, in that house, the legitimate head is the father. It's not the son. Not the first son, not the second son not the slaves or the servants. The legitimate head of that house is the father. And yet from that one legitimate person, this young man goes and says, give me my share, I'm out of here. You see, in his demand for freedom, he is prepared to insult his father. How? In most societies, and definitely it was true of Jewish society, property would not be split to the, younger, to the children till the father died. The father could make a will and say that this is the way I want my property to be split. But remember, the Jews were following the laws set down by Moses, and for them, It was the Pentateuch, the Torah. And in that, when it is clearly given that the property is split to the boys, the first son gets two-thirds, the second, and any other son gets one-third. Or the the first son gets a double portion, and the rest of the sons get one-one portion. Okay, so that authority is already there. That decision is already there but that will not come to the children till the father dies. It is only in rare instances, apparently, that the father can actually initiate the distribution process if he felt that there would be a problem at a later date. It is not the right of the sons to go and ask for property. But in his self-will, In his decision to go and ask his father, he was basically telling his father, I wish you were dead. You are standing in my way. I want my property, get out of my way. Go die. I want my property. If that is not rebellion, tell me what is. Now, it's not about that boy, it's about you and me. Where do we stand today? Is that the way we talk to God? Is that the way we behave with God? God, I want my freedom. I want to do things that I want to do. I feel shackled by being in church. I feel shackled Being in a home where the word of God is read, where prayers are said. Is that what you and I are saying? Are we telling God, I'll do it my way? Are we even telling God, I actually don't need you? Just give me my rights and I'm out of here. Number one, self-will. Number two, selfishness. That's in verse 13, the first part, selfishness. And not many days after, the younger son gathered all together. He took everything that he had. He gathered all that he had received from his father. Can you imagine the scenario right there? The neighbors mocking, making fun of of the father, not of the young guy. He said, your son wants you dead, and now he's taking everything. All that you have is being taken away. But the father kept quiet, because nowhere in these passages do we hear that the father said anything. The father was quiet, but the young man gathered all that he had received from his father. He kept everything to himself. He was only thinking of himself at that point. He didn't want anything else. He didn't want anybody else. And even as he was doing all this, logic tells us that his father was probably there with him, watching him, pleading with him to remain, telling him, this is your home. Okay, you want what you want, that's fine. But this is your home. Why are you going away? Why do you want to wander away? The world is full of wolves. Why are you wandering away? This is your place. Do you want me to do something extra for you? I'll do it. You are a prince in this home. But the young man was a very selfish man. He said, this is mine. I've got my freedom and I'll do what I want. Is that the way we behave today? Are we so selfish that we refuse to share what God has put into our hands? In fact, to those of us who know the Lord, why are we so selfish that we often like to keep that to ourselves? We don't even want to go and pass on the good news to somebody else. The good news, that there is a way out of the sin. There is a savior. There is salvation. There is redemption. There is a way of forgiveness. Or have we become so hard-hearted, like that young man, that we say, okay, every message is for me, I'm going to keep it, and that's it, I'm not going to share it. I'm not going to share the love of God anywhere to anyone. I'm really not bothered about the guys out there. Then you need to ask yourself, for what purpose has God kept me here? It can't be just for yourself. If God wanted each of us just to have all our things for ourselves and just be by ourselves, I am sure he could have built seven billion mountaintops and each of us could have a mountaintop and we could sit on it with all our possessions. But the fact that God made plains and valleys and put us all together obviously indicates that God wants us to be with others. So we can't be keeping everything to ourselves like that selfish young man. Have we chosen to share the word of God with somebody else? Have we chosen to speak to someone About what God has done for us. The testimony that you want to bring here this Monday for Victory Night, unless it's going to happen between now and Victory Night. Have you told somebody, you know what God's done in my life? You know how God's healed me? You know how God's taken me out of a financial disaster? You know how God's given me a promotion? Or do we bring our testimony only to people of God and continue evangelizing the evangelized? Because it's not you and me who really need to hear this over and over again. We know God heals. We've all experienced it. It's good. Go ahead and tell us. I'm not saying don't come with your testimonies. Please do. It's good to hear it on and off. But there is a, pay, a world which is crying outside. There are guys outside who are lost, who have no clue that there is a God who heals. They have given up on hospitals, they have given up on doctors, they have given up on everybody else, and rightfully so. But they need to know that hope is not lost. There is a God who heals. There are people who say, That's the end of my marriage. I can't do anything more. That guy is terrible. That girl is terrible. No. That's not what God tells us. God tells us there is hope. Just come to him. Marriage is holy. God made marriages. And marriages are meant to last the time. They are not trial events. Where you try one person and then move on to another person. That doesn't work. So why are we selfish? Let's, let's be free, expressing to others as God leads us that there is a God who is a miracle-working God. This boy wasn't. He kept everything for himself. All his material possessions, everything that he had, every penny that he could collect was all for him. He was not going to keep anything back. And then he moved on. Number three, <clears throat> separation. Verse 13b. Not many days after, the younger son gathered all together and he journeyed to a far country. He journeyed to a far country. He separated himself. He made sure that he went as far away from his father as possible. He didn't want to stay anywhere close to his dad. His dad was probably an old man. So if he was a little close, he would have thought maybe my dad could get onto his donkey or camel or whatever he had at that point, his Rolls Royce of the day, and pedal across to me. No, I need to be as far away as possible. Let me move away to a far land. The idea was to break all ties, to be totally separated from his father. He didn't want to give any opportunity to his dad to come back and in his opinion, interfere in his life. And so he moved on. That's what the word of God tells us. That he separated himself to a, to a far country. He gathered all that he had and traveled to a far country. Is this what we also do? Is this what we like to do? That we want to be all by ourselves in a different, in a, in a far off place, far from God. Far from people who love us. Far from people who are considerate towards us. Who want to give us a good advice. Far from God. Are we the kind of people who says, no, I'll take charge of my life. I'll take charge of the steering wheel. I know when to press the accelerator, just leave it to me. You see, in the spiritual world, there are only two options. You are either on God's side or on the devil's side. There's nothing in between. And the further you move away from God, the closer you get to the devil. So the choice is very simple do you want to be separated from God, which means you are then attached to the devil? Or do you want to be attached to God and therefore separated from the devil? Okay, the choices are simple. So we have got to decide, where are we heading? We have got to look at our lives, introspect on our lives. Am I as close to God today as I was same time last year? Or has the comforts of this current life made me forget about God? All these things that I enjoy in this beautiful land, that God is not so important to me all the time. You see, God wasn't important to the boy. The father wasn't important to the boy. He said, I just want to get away from here. Get away to a far country. Where do you and I stand? We've got to look at that. Number four, verse 13c, sensuality. And not many days after, the younger son gathered all together, journeyed to a far country, and there wasted his possessions with prodigal living. NKJV says prodigal living. NIV says he squandered his wealth in wild living. The American Standard Bible says he wasted his wealth with loose living. The King James Version says he wasted his substance with riotous living. Whatever the version, it means the same. It's a physical satisfaction in its broadest sense. All he was interested in was satisfying his physical needs. And that's what sensuality is all about. Meeting your physical needs. That's what the boy did. He went far away and did what he wanted to do now again we are not worried about that boy but what about us are we trying to feed our physical egos daily in the clothes we wear in the smartphones that we use i'm not going to talk about tablets because tablets are on their way out now it is smart watches and you look at them they are black you really can't see anything in them till you tap them or till you talk to them so are we so enamored by all of these things the smartphones and the smart watches that we possess there was a there was a there was a millionaire who was found traveling in the economy section of an aircraft and somebody recognized him and said, whoa, what are you doing here? I thought guys like you would be traveling in the first class. He said, no, guys like me travel in economy class, but you are a millionaire. He said, yes, because I travel in economy class, I'm a millionaire. The mistake some of us make is as our earnings start going up, our spending also goes up. From getting a 2 real shirt on the street, we then move into branded shirts, which still last the same time. From buying Ordinary leather footwear. We then move on to branded footwear. We still walk the same roads. I'm not saying don't buy branded stuff. I am not against it. I too use. But what I'm trying to say is, is that what life is all about? Is that what we tend to... To, to measure a person's life by. You know, I, uh, long, many years back, about 10, 12, 13 years back, on those days when, when we go, to holiday, uh, go on holiday to India, we used to carry loads and loads of things for relatives and friends and relatives unknown, you know. Because you tend to get more relatives at such times. Uh, and, and, and at one point, we took some jeans material. Okay, We didn't buy the jeans because we didn't know the sizes. So we said we'll buy the jeans material and get it stitched. So we took it over to my place and there was a tailor who does good jeans stitching. This is what uh, one of my nephews told me. So we t- went across there and the guy said, okay, he'll stitch. And then he turns around and asks uh, my elder son, my nephews, and a few other guys to whom we, for, for, for whom we bought this material and said, what brand do you want? <laughs> so he pulls out a drawer and he says, you want Levis? You want something else? I don't even know the names. He pulls out the label, he pulls out the buttons, he pulls out everything. And he says, if you want levies, we put levies. Everything is levies. The, your jeans is levies. So each of the guys chose what they wanted. Okay, this is branded. When I was young, I bought a watch. I, I had to beg, 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 beg my mom that I needed the money to buy that branded watch. And my mom told me there's no need, we don't have the money for that. Do you really need to buy that watch? And I was adamant. Okay, I definitely wanted that watch. So my mom actually pawned her jewelry. She pawned her jewelry and gave me the cash. Now, I had the privilege because I'm, I'm an only son. Okay, so so. I, have, I can kind of blackmail my mom into all of these things, and that's what I did, okay? And I got the money, I went and bought the watch, and it was very nice, you see, I have this habit of putting up my shirts, you know, you can see my watch. The watch was very clearly seen. Remember the warranty for that watch was 12 months. Thirteenth month, the watch went out of order. Okay, now what am I going to tell my mom? What was I going to tell my mom? I went to that shop very quietly and said, can you repair this? That guy said, no. This is a branded watch. It cannot be, some parts cannot be opened. It has to be sent to Japan, etc. Et if it has to be sent to Japan, you have to take care of the freight and all of that. I don't have money to get the bus from here to home. <laughs> Where? I said, leave it. So that watch is still at home. From that day onwards, we used to get, for seven r- rupees, a cashier watch, which is what I started using, okay? I had at least a cashier-branded watch, eh? only th- everybody knew it was only seven rupees. You could get it on the roadside, uh, always black in color, okay? Let's be careful, because this is what this boy also was doing, this young man went out there and he was living sensuously. He was wasting his money. And always you will have friends to help you waste money. I don't need to tell parents here, but you would know, especially those of you who have had to send your parents back back to other countries. You will often be spending, not just for your son or daughter, but for your friend's friends, And your daughter's daughters, so daughter's friends. Why? Because there's a whole gang of people who come around like bees. Okay, and that's what happened with this young man, sensual living, prodigal living. He was wasting everything that he had. And is that what we are doing today? What is it that we are watching on television? What's the language we are using? What's what's it that we are watching on internet? Is our living riotous living? Or is it righteous living? Because what this guy did was not righteous at all. There was nothing righteous about it. It was all righteous living. What idols have we got in our life today? What idols have you and I got in our life today? Number five. Spiritual destitution verse 14 but when he had spent all there arose a severe famine in that land and he began to be in want he was a destitute he had nothing now this is a guy who was living like a prince in his father's house and right here he's lost everything he's lost his money He's lost his possessions, and in the bargain, he's lost his friends also. And he was a destitute. Physically bankrupt, spiritually bankrupt, financially bankrupt, everywhere down in the dumps. Okay. There was no one he could turn to. There was no one who was prepared to listen to him. There was no one who wanted to talk to him. He could turn to no one for godly counsel. And therefore, he continued to make his own useless, worthless decisions. You and me, who do we turn to when it's time to make decisions in our lives? Do we turn to God to help us make decisions? Or have we told God, no, I'll do it my way. You know, I don't like the speed at which you work. You're pretty slow. Well, you know, I belong to the instant generation. You know, we are 21st tech people or 21st century tech people. Okay, I need to move things fast. You're pretty slow. Have you already told that to God? Then who's, who's helping you to make decisions? Do we go to God? But we have already told him that we really don't want him. Where do we seek godly counsel? Do we turn to those whose answers are just as worthless as the decisions we have already taken? Do we go to those who give us answers that satisfy our itching ears and then we feel better? Because we have already faced spiritual destitution. We have already faced a situation where we know we have nobody to turn to. We have burnt all our bridges. Number six, verse 15. Self-abasement. Then he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country and he sent him into the fields to feed swine. What can be worse for a Jew than feeding swine? Pigs. According to the law of Moses, pigs were unclean animals, and therefore no Jew associates himself or herself with pigs. But what was our young man doing? He was feeding pigs. He was serving the dirtiest of animals. That is self abasement. He's reached the bottom of the pile. You'll think he can go no lower than this. He's scratching the bottom of the barrel and he's getting nothing. Can you just see his state? A guy who was a prince, had money to throw around, suddenly now has nothing. Even the pigs are better off than him. What about you and me? Do we remember that we are actually the chosen people of God? Do we remember that we are not just somebody? We are chosen people of God. We are God's people. We are heirs to the kingdom of God. Just as this man was the heir to his father's kingdom, you and I are heirs to the kingdom of God. We have an inheritance that is so beautiful, so big. But in our desire to do things our way, Have we thrown it away? Have we thrown all that away? What kind of a life are we living? Have we reached the stage where we are now scratching the bottom of the barrel? Number seven, and that really is the bottom of the barrel for this young man, verse 16, and he would gladly have filled his stomach with the pods that the swine ate. And no one gave him anything. See, no one gave him anything. Even the food for the pigs would have tasted. Like, what do you like? Biryani? Jollof Rice? whatever. Okay. Even the pods, what are the pods? The pods are the coverings. It's not even the content which the pigs could enjoy. He, was, he, w- he would have even been happy to have just the coverings. I love to eat peanuts. I love to eat pistachios. I love to eat all kinds of nuts. Okay. Now, the problem with pistachios and peanuts and there's that other little uh, seed, sunflower seed. It's a struggle to take the covering off. (laughs) If somebody could do that for me, I would be happy to eat what is inside. Okay, because the content is what matters. But this young man, was he didn't even want the content. He said, pigs, you have it. Enjoy a gourmet meal, it doesn't matter. Leave the coverings for me, because the pigs were eating that also. Can you imagine the status? Can you imagine this guy who should have been living like a prince? He had everything. In fact, if he wanted the content of those seeds, he could have asked his father's servants, peel them and give them to me. It would have been done in his father's house. Now he can't even lay hands on it for himself. Are we in such a state? Have we reached this kind of a low point in our life? Because then we really need to examine ourselves. Because this is the lowest of low. We need to examine ourselves and see whether we are in a similar state as this son. Now all of us may look fine, but what really matters is not what we are on the outside, but who we are on the inside. So look at yourself and ask your question, how different are you from this young son? Have you gone? Are you going through a state of applying your self will? I want to do it my way. Are you selfish about everything in your life? Do you want to be separated from God because God seems to be an obstacle in your life? Is all your living about sensual living, riotous living, prodigal living? all about things, all about material stuff. Are you a destitute physically, spiritually? And more, more than physically, it's important to know whether you're destitute spiritually. Are you empty inside? Have you reached the bottom of the pile and you're just starving? Can somebody... Can somebody please give me something? I'm starving. Not necessarily for physical food. You may be having a lot of it. I'm starving for life. Can somebody please tell me from the word of God some verse which will tell me that I have a hope for tomorrow? Because if we are in any of these situations, we are no different from that young man. That is self-will, and it all starts with rebellion, And it's a downward spiral. It keeps pulling you down and down and down till the lowest level. Psalms chapter one, verse one. The psalmist put it very beautifully where he says, "Blessed is the man who walks not, who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits." in the seat of the scornful you see the progression first verse that the psalmist writes he said blessed is the man that walketh not walketh not means you are still walking you are still in motion you can still get away from it and then he says nor standeth standeth is when you have stopped And you are watching something that you shouldn't be watching. And then the last thing is, blessed is the man who does not sit in the seat of the scornful. Because that's the third stage we go to. You're walking, then you stand and watch, then you sit with the scornful, then you become the scornful. You see, and that's the first verse that the psalmist used while writing 150 chapters. Now be warned, this could happen to any one of us. The steps from ruin to starvation, from self-will to starvation are gradual and they creep upon us. It's taken us almost one hour just to talk about these seven points. And so in the remaining time that I have, let me tell you that there is a hope. This young man had hope. There was a hope for this young man, okay, and there is always hope for all of us, even if we have reached the bottom of the pile, because from here it's only upwards, you can't go down any further. Okay, so let's look at what are the possible ways to restoration. So the good news is now, we had seven steps to ruin, and we have seven steps to restoration. And I'm not going to take much time on this. Right from the bottom. My next slide, sister. Number one, realization. Verse 17. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have bread enough and to spare, and I perish with hunger? He realized his situation. So the first thing on the road to restoration is recognize and realize where you are. Don't wallow in the mire. Number two. Resolution. Verse 18. I will arise and go to my father and I will say to him. That is the resolution. I will arise and I will go. I will not sit in this mire. I will not sit at the bottom of the pile. I'm getting up. I'm moving. I'm going. And I will tell my father that I have sinned against you and against heaven. Okay? There is a resolution. Maybe it is time that some of us need to take that resolution. Number three, repentance. Again, verse 18, verse 19. I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. That is repentance. Accepting that, yes, I have sinned. I have done what is not right. I am not worthy to be called your son, but I come to you because I know you are a gracious father. At least take me in as a hired servant. Make me the least of your servants, but that's better for me. That is repentance. Number four, return. Verse 20. And he arose and came to his father. You see, it is, it is one thing to, to realize your situation, to resolve that you're going to do something about it, to repent and still remain in that mess. Because so very often we realize... We decide we are going to do something about it, but we don't do anything about it. We simply continue sitting in that mire and then saying, you know, what am I supposed to do? Okay. He returned. He got up. He said, I'm moving from here. I know my way is there. Back to my father's house. I'm going. The same way that he came, he's now returning. Okay, he got up from where he was, he moved on. It was his decision was not just a verbal statement. It was an action-oriented statement. And he moved. Number five, reconciliation. Verse 20 again. But when he was still a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. You see, the man took one step to his father. His father took ten steps towards him. The father was always waiting. Some of us may need to take that one step back to God. God is waiting. God has not closed his eyes. God has not turned his face away. God is waiting. You take that first step. Let me take that first step. God will take 10 steps. But if I don't take that first step, God is not going to take those 10 steps. Just like in this boy's case, he took the first step, the father took, came running and threw himself on the son and said, come back. You see, that is reconciliation. Number six, restitution. Verse 22. But the father said to his servants, remember the boy told in verse 21, he says, I'm not worthy to be called your son, make me as your hired guy. The father didn't even bother to listen to all those things. He said, Bring out the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet. In Jewish practice, the minute you become a slave, the sandals is taken off your feet. A servant, a slave, should not wear sandals. So when the father told the servants, bring the sandal and put it on his feet, it said, this is my son. He may want to come back as a servant, but I'm not taking him as a servant. I'm taking him back as a son. That is restitution. The ring was put back on his finger. The ring is the sign of authority. Because the ring that was used in the Jewish time was called the signet ring. The signet ring is a mark with a sign on it. And that could be used to indicate your approval. You could sign a check and just put your signet ring on it. That is an approval that that's your signature. You could have a sale deed and put your signet ring on it. It's a stamp of approval. So the ring is a sign of authority within the family. And that's what the father immediately gave back, restitution. Walk back to God. God restores the kingdom back to you. Everything that's in the kingdom will be yours once again. You will not have to go and look for pods anywhere. And number seven is rejoicing and restoration. Verse 23 and verse 24. There was a party because the son was restored. Because this guy who was lost is back. In verse 23, in verse 24. The father says, for this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to make merry. That is restoration. So you can see the cycle. Going away from God is a downward spiral. Once you decide to return to God and act on that. With the true repentance in your heart. It's up the track once again. And you will be there on that throne. You see, that's what that boy had to do. And that's what we all have to do. And if you look at the way this, this message has gone. The first one hour was on the downward spiral. It's a slow progressive spiral downwards. But coming back up is a very simple thing. All we need to do is we need to realize, we need to resolve in our heart, we need to repent, we need to act upon it, return to God, and there is reconciliation. There is restitution. There is restoration into who? And rejoicing in the kingdom of God. Okay, And there will be rejoicing in our lives there was there's no news of this boy having I mean rejoicing when he was sitting with the pigs he was not having any uh, great fun with the pigs but now there is rejoicing so finally the question that occurs is and this is just an assignment that i'm going to give you i'm not going to do it i'm not going to talk about it When you really get reconciled to God, when you really get restored to God, what do you get out of it? What's in it for you and for me when we're reconciled to God? You really want to know that? Turn to Romans chapter 5, verses 1 to 5. Read it well, but I'll tell you what the points are. Sister, can I have the next slide, please? And the next points, just continuously, yes. What you get when you are reconciled to God is peace with God. Access to the glory of God. You learn to glory at all times. You learn to develop patience and perseverance. You learn to build up your character. You live with hope that doesn't disappoint and you experience the love of God. This is Romans chapter 5, verse 1 to 5. Please take time to read those five verses elaborately, spending time on those verses. So what's the take-home message? And I'll close now. So often, we miss seeing the blessings that God has poured out for us materially, spiritually, financially, in relationships, in so many ways that we look to others, and we start cribbing that we could do better if we were on our own. Think again. Sometimes, we may have to go through a painful valley experience before we realize that we can actually do nothing by ourselves. There is always hope at the bottom of the valley. But it is for us to recognize, to repent and to start the walk back to the Lord. The rewards for reconciliation and restoration are innumerably more than the filthy droppings we experience at the bottom of our personally dug valleys. Last but not the least, God desires that each of us as coheres with Jesus Christ in the kingdom of God, should enjoy every bit of his kingdom. God bless you as you meditate on these verses and contemplate on where your life is right now. So we're going to take a few minutes before we close. And I ask you to stand, close your eyes, And just think on where your life stands right now in relation to God. Remember, you are a hair, you are a prince in God's kingdom. Are you behaving, acting like a prince? Or are you prepared to throw it away? Where is your life headed right now? Think about it. Take a moment. Look at your own lives. Don't worry about your neighbors. Look at your own lives. And decide how you want to go about it.
1: Nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee, because thou hast left thy first love. Revelation 2, four. Which state are you? Do you still love God? Or you are now an enemy of God? If you are yet to give your life to Jesus at all, you are yet to establish that love with him. You are here, you want to give your life to Jesus? This is an opportunity for you. He created you for him, not for yourself. It's an opportunity for you to surrender your life unto Jesus today. If you are here, you know you are not born again. You are not a child of God. You still live in sin. Please, could you please raise your hand unto him and look unto God and say, God, I surrender my life unto you today. Is somebody making that decision? You know you are not a child of God. You can deceive everybody, but you cannot deceive God. You are still living a life of sin. You are like that prodigal son You have no regard for God. You still live your life the way you want. Are you taking that decision? If you are taking that decision, please raise up your hand so that we'll be able to know somebody is taking that decision and pray with you. You want to give your life to Jesus? Thank you, Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name we have prayed. Now I want the rest of us to just pray this prayer. God, help me to remain relevant in your agenda for my life. Help me to remain relevant in your agenda for my life. Go ahead and pray that prayer. Lord, I receive grace to remain relevant on your agenda for the rest of my life. I have chosen to work with you and not against you. I have chosen to increase in my love for you and not to depreciate. Lord, I receive grace to remain relevant in your agenda for my life. I will not walk against you. I will walk with you for the rest of my life. Lord, restore me back fully to my first love. In the name of Jesus, in Jesus' mighty name, we have prayed. Lord, we are so grateful this morning for restoring us back to our first love. Thank you for the powerful session of taking off from the place we are to the place we ought to be. Lord, we receive grace to walk with you and never against you in all areas of our life in the name of Jesus. Thank you for your song you have used today. We pray you release your fresh auction upon him even to do greater works for you together with the family in the name of Jesus every one of us as we go this week we go in your power and your strength in your favor in the name of jesus i decree everything you touch this week shall prosper in the name of jesus the lord will go with you and order your step in the name of jesus the lord will teach you to profit in the name of jesus and he will direct your path in the name of jesus Every enemy against you. Walking against the counsel and the purpose of God for your life. The Lord will drive them out of your way in the name of Jesus. This time next week you are coming back with great testimonies. In the name of Jesus. It is well with you in the name of Jesus. Thank you Holy Spirit. We give you all the glory. In Jesus mighty name we have prayed. And the grace together. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us now and forevermore. Amen. Surely, goodness and mercy shall follow us all the days of our life, and we shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever and ever. Amen. As we pray, the Lord will answer us as we pray. You are blessed in Jesus' name.